You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. In this episode, I sit down for an in-depth discussion with Shana Small, who is a 20-year Ashtanga Yoga practitioner and author of the Ashtanga Yoga Project, a platform, website, and blog that teaches how to apply yogic wisdom in our fast-paced modern world. Shana is known for her outspoken fight for social justice and change in the yogic world. As a bigger-bodied African-American yoga teacher, she seeks to uplift the voices of marginalized people in the yoga world. And she believes that Ashtanga yoga is powerful and should be made accessible to all bodies. She's also been studying the yoga sutras for 15 years and makes the connection between ahimsa, the yoga commitment of nonviolence and social justice work. You can find her online at www.ashtangayogaproject.com. In our discussion, we get into the details of accessibility in the Ashtanga yoga world and then take a turn into applying the principles of yogic wisdom to the recent events regarding police brutality in the United States. This is a very important episode for yoga practitioners. It's a deep dive into the direct application of the principles of yoga into the world that we live in by embodying the change that we seek. We can begin to understand that you know, yoga is more than just pretty pictures and fun-looking shapes. If yoga is a path that promises full liberation for all beings, in this episode, we talk about what it really means to stand for the full liberation of all beings, all human beings, all beings. We discuss the issue of systemic privilege, how that plays out in the yoga world, and why it should matter to spiritual practitioners who might feel disconnected, ostracized, or even deeply touched and impacted and shocked by the recent events. What you can do to empower yourself and lift up the voices of marginalized communities is so important as a spiritual practitioner. We end the episode with real actionable takeaway points that you can implement in your life today to make a difference in the world. It starts with you, with me, with each of us, one by one, to create a critical mass of awakening that has the power to change the world. So keep yourself inspired, listen with an open heart, an open mind, and buckle up. Shana, thanks so much for joining me here. I was wondering if we could start by speaking about your unique voice and message in the traditional world of Ashtanga yoga. In some ways, you're a pioneer of what we could call the movement towards accessibility. So I was wondering if we could kind of dive into that and you could share more about how you found the inspiration to make this traditional method accessible for more students and where you draw your inspiration from. So I'm Shana Small. I've been practicing Ashtanga for close to 20 years. And my place in the yoga world, wow, it has changed. It has morphed. It has grown tremendously. Um, And I'm extraordinarily excited about that. So when I first started practicing yoga, it was like most people, like it was this trendy thing to do. And, Hmm. you know, I wanted to have a nice body. And then you get to do little spiritual things on top of that. I was like, (laughs) that's so cute. And so I started practicing yoga and I was in class one day and it was an Ashtanga class. And the teacher started saying, yoga, chitta, riti, narodaha. I'm like, what? What is she talking about? What is that? And she just kept saying it. And after class, I was like, what is it? What is that that you were saying? And then she introduced me to the Yoga Sutras. And I'm like, okay, this yoga is a little deeper than 
um, nice abs and like, you know, hugs and love and light. And there's more to this. So I started my journey, like most, like, well, not most people, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but like a lot of people tend to do in the West, um, you know, it's cute. It's interesting. It's a workout. And then, you know, being introduced by this phrase that, okay, I need to go deeper down this rabbit hole and see what is this that she's talking about. And then that started my journey into the philosophy of yoga and really the other seven limbs, all the other stuff that yoga had to offer. So <clears throat> Shana Small um, evolved from this person that was honestly desperately just trying to fit into this whole scene of, of yoga. And then as I studied more and more, realizing that I'm not interested in fitting into anyone's scene. And then from there, starting to morph and to change and to grow to the person that I am today. So Shana Small today is very much a person that's into social justice. Mm -hmm. I want to see the yoga world actually practicing yoga. I mean, I just can't say it any other way. Um, not just, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to look good. I, I personally believe that if we practice the full spectrum of yoga, I, I truly believe that a lot of the problems that we see in the world, especially in the yoga world, would go away. Yoga addresses everything. Mm -hmm. It's just like this full, beautiful system that was laid out you know, to us by these amazing people. And like, we took it and we were like, I'm just going to do this one thing, this teeny tiny little teeny thing. And so Shana Small is about educating people on what is below the iceberg, right? Not just what's showing above mm -hmm. the water, but what's below that and showing people like, dude, this is, this is powerful what's below here. And this will change your life. And this is what you're really searching for. This is what you really want. You're a little afraid, but this is what you want. And this is what you're searching for. So this is, that is what Shana Small is about. Like Shana Small does asana, but, you know, I'll tell people all the time, if, if you know, you know, Shiva showed up today and was like, hey, you can either do asana or you can either do, you know, the philosophy part. I'd be like, it's a philosophy part. <laughs> the yeah. Stuff. I mean, that's just where I'm at right now because I think that's what the world needs. That's what we're missing. There's so many asana teachers, um, mm -hmm. so many asana practitioners. What we really mm -hmm. need is to get into the other seven limbs of this, you know, and I really believe in its power to transform the world. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely love that. And there's so much there to dive into and talk about. Before we get into the connection between yoga and social justice, which I definitely really am excited to talk with you about, I first want to take a little small stop on the road of accessibility because you have been teaching some accessible Ashtanga classes. And this is something that is its own mini revolution. For anybody who's listening who doesn't know about the Ashtanga tradition is it's a very, very traditional practice where accessibility was even kind of, I wouldn't say frowned upon because the usage of blocks and props and chairs and bolsters and that sort of thing was, it was just not really used. And that was a, would be exclusionary for a whole group of people. And I'm fully in support of accessible Ashtanga. I believe in it. And I believe in modifying the practice and making it available to many people. So how did you get started veering away from the dogma of Ashtanga into embracing accessible Ashtanga? So when I first started practicing Ashtanga, I was in a bubble in Georgia, um, in Atlanta, in an Ashtanga community there. And I remember that within that community, it wasn't extremely dogmatic. So I didn't even start in a very dogmatic place. It was very much understood that you got on your mat and you did what you can do and different people would be doing different things depending on what was going on with their body, the way they were made, what their goals were. You know, it was, and, and that's how the Mysore room was when I first started. And so I moved from Georgia, I moved to Charlotte and I was kind of by myself for a while. And, you know, there were a strong spread out around here and there. And we tried to mobilize and tried to come together. 
Um, and as that was all happening, to me, it felt like there was a dogmatic swing in the Ashtanga yoga community. I don't, I can't even put my finger on why or when it started, but there just became this whole idea of, well, this is what it is and this is what you're supposed to do. And I don't even know when it started because I, it didn't, I wasn't, I was not taught that way. You know, I was Mm -hmm. not taught that way. And what a blessing on some level, you know, I was not taught that way. And I lost myself somewhere in, in the middle of it all. And I can't even put my finger on when, and I say myself, because I'm not going to lie to you. I I was very dogmatic for a long time. You bought, Um, you drank the dogma Kool-Aid, you got into it. I drank it. I think, yep. Every Ashtangi I think has. Mm -hmm. I got into it. I was like, okay, this is how it's supposed to look. And, and, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And I want to show myself to prove and I want to do it right and, you know, and, and got mad for a minute at my mm-hmm. old teachers. They weren't teaching me how to do it right. You know, right. how come they didn't teach me to jump this way? And how come they didn't teach me, you know, angry about it? And, and I got extraordinarily dogmatic about Ashtanga and was that way for a long time. And I had a big shift when I actually went to my store. <laughs> <laughs> when I finally went to Mysore, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was extraordinarily confused because I was like, okay, this is how everything is supposed to be done. You know, I've got Sherat's book and I understand correct method and this mm-hmm, is the way it's mm-hmm. supposed to go. And then I go and I'm sitting there in Mysore looking in the big shala and I'm again seeing the same thing I saw when I right. first started Ashtanga. I'm seeing uh-huh. all different people doing all different things, being given all different things. I'm like, you know, well, <laughs> I have to jump this way and this person gets to jump that way. And, and, and this person, <laughs> they didn't even do their dropbacks. And this person, and, you know, and then I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm like, and I had to have a come to Jesus with myself. Like, <laughs> you know, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. How did how did we get here? Mm-hmm. I didn't start that way, and then I go to Mysore, and it absolutely is not that way in that room. Mm-hmm. And you know, for a while after I came back, I went in 2016. It it really was like a I don't know <laughs> a dark night of the soul, Ashtanga edition, just trying to figure out like <laughs> just trying to figure out where in the world had I picked up all this garbage and I still don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, there are some people who go to Mysore and pick up a dogma. You know, <laughs> there's some people who actually go there and have a completely other experience. They come back super dogmatic, you know, because they hear, you know, they hear Sherrod, who's the lineage holder and the teacher there say, point your foot. And then they're like, forevermore, the foot will be pointed, come do or die. So there are people that actually have the complete opposite, you know, reaction. And so I think that's, one of the things that's also a testament to who you are, that you're able to see that as the mirror. And then the second thing is that, you know, so many people just take different things away from different circumstances. And I'm so glad that you were able to see that mirror and soften the dogmatic edges. So how did you come yeah. out of the dark night of the soul and how did that lead to accessibility? So, I mean, I kept hearing over and over and over again, you know, even as I came back and I fought with this whole idea of the dogma and trying to make sense of where I started and what I saw and the dogma kept hearing people over and over again, you know, Hey, I like you, Shana, but you know, I can't do any of that stuff. Hey, I like you, Shana, Mm -hmm. but I feel Mm -hmm. um, intimidated by that class. Mm -hmm. Hey, I like you, Shana, but I feel intimidated by you. Hey, I like you, Shana, but I'll never be able to do that. You know, kept hearing Mm -hmm. this over and over and over and over again, all these people that's like, I can never do what it is that you're, you're, you're telling me to do. And dropping out and feeling like yoga is not for them and not getting the benefits of the practice because of the Mm -hmm. dogmatism. And I just, one day I was like, I'm going to like, I've always been the person, like I said at the beginning to be like, what is the void that needs to be filled? Where is the teaching? Where, where does my voice need to go? Where are the corners that are dark and that are missing? And I felt that that's where, 
what we were missing in Ashtanga because I get t- I got tired of hearing yep. people say, oh, well, Ashtanga is for everybody. But it's like, but when somebody but shows not. up to your class, yeah. yeah, somebody shows up to your class and you're still trying to rip their arm off into a Asana and, and well, you know, this, the pose is Chaturanga. So, you know, <laughs> it's do, it, like, do it or die. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I was like, I can't, I can't be a part of that anymore. Yep. Yoga is for everyone. Ashanga yoga has, has changed my life. Um, I've gone through many dark times um, with Ashanga yoga with me. And I think that everyone should have access to that. And yep. if that means handing somebody a block, then that means, <laughs> I yeah, mean, that I totally hear you on that. Even that, or a chair, or a bolster, or five blocks. You know, yes. I think I had a, I had a similar change of heart just looking at like real students, particularly my mom. When my mom started to want to maybe do a yoga class, she's she's you know in her seventies with two total knee replacements. So there are things that there's no modification. There's no way she's ever going to do that asana. You know, she's never going to do lotus. She's going to be lucky if she does tree with her foot above the knee, you know? And the idea that like she can't do the practice or that the practice can't be adjusted to her is was just beyond me. And she'll, she can never, there's basically nothing she can do for pick it up and jump back. So, because you can't fold the knee, you know, unless, you know, it's, it's, maybe there's something, but like if I saw her and working with her and just the, the compassion. And so I think this is a really interesting connection between yoga and social justice because here we are and we do a practice and it makes us feel good and it works for our bodies. But then the compassionate leap to then say, this is where you are and this is what you need. So to have true compassion and then to take action based on it, not to look down and say, oh, you can't jump back. Oh, poor you. No, it's like, oh, oh well, what, what do you need and how can I be of service to you in this moment? And that's kind of, you know, that's, that, that's one element of, of the eight limbs. So how do you translate yoga and social justice? Like what's the, what is the leap for you? And how does that, how does that connection get made in the scope of the, you know, the traditional yogic teachings? Ahimsa. Ahimsa. Um, ahimsa is nonviolence. And that nonviolence is not just for one group of people. It's not just for me. It's this idea to me that if harm is being done, to any of my fellow humans that as a yogi, if I take the great vows, I say, okay, I'm going to live by um, the yamas. Part of that is that wherever I see harm being done, that I Mm -hmm. can have an impact on, it is my duty as a yogi to be of service and to um, change what it is that I can change. So for me, yoga justice is ahimsa all day long. Mm-hmm. I really, really love that. And I think it's so true. I feel like ahimsa has been kind of falsely and it like narrowed down to you have to be vegan. You know, it's like, oh, ahimsa equals vegan. And then, and then that begins to be a lane that people like associate with ahimsa. But it's like, wait a minute. Yes, like protect the animals, but there's fellow human beings that are suffering that you walk by and don't offer a compassionate heart to. But if there was, you know, a crying puppy across the street, we would run up and scoop up that puppy and, you know, do everything we could possibly do to save it and try to find the people who abandoned that puppy and prosecute that person and stand up for that puppy and you know, get all up in arms. Can you believe that someone left a puppy on the side of the street? Poor thing. But when it's a person that is harmed by whether systemic, you know, systemic issues um, or by a person in a position of power, like what we're seeing right now, you know, in the United States, people don't have that immediate reaction. They kind of immediately go into a, oh, it's not part of, you know, it's not, not my thing. And then the yoga community falls into the trap that, you know, that you wrote about in your recent blog, which is that people, you know, say, oh, well, let's just send love and light to everyone. Like, let's just, you know, be in a space of love and light. And it's sort of the, you know, yogic equivalent of thoughts and prayers, you know, okay, well, we'll, we'll send you our thoughts and prayers. So what do you have to say about that? Like, why isn't that good enough? Like, why isn't it good enough just to like send prayers and love and light and what's actually needed by yogis in the world? 
it needs action. It needs, it needs legs. I mean, I mean, if you look at like the, even the Nagita, it's like all about action, 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 skillful, skillful action, um, excellence mm-hmm. in action. So without having any action behind your hopes and prayers and behind your love and light, nothing's going to change. Um, I'm reminded of the story and you might know the story and I'm about to butcher that story up, but you've probably heard that story of the dude who's like drowning or something. And um, Uh (laughs) he like prays to God and he's like, God help me. And like God sends them all this stuff, you know, to to help him. Exactly. First there comes a helicopter and then he says, no, I'm praying to my God. Let's let the, 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 you know, go away. And then there comes a boat. He says, no, I'm praying to my God. My God will save me. And then, then there comes an airplane that sends him down like a raft. He says, no, I'm praying to my God. Then he dies and he crosses over to the other side and he's like, God, I thought you were going to save me. And God's like, listen, I sent you a helicopter. I sent you an airplane and I sent you a lifeboat and you didn't take any of them. What's your problem? <laughs> exactly. Like, the love and light by itself is not going to do it. We have mm-hmm. to, <laughs> we might have to be somebody's raft, right? We might have to mm-hmm. um, bring somebody, be the luxury airplane for somebody. Like <laughs> we, we love and light is not enough. And honestly, for most people, it's a cop out. Like right. maybe it would work if people actually were sitting around sending love and light, if they actually were <laughs> on their knees. Meditating. Yeah. Meditating <laughs> and, and being in genuine prayer. I mean, that's two different things, right? That's the, what, what, what that's referencing is called the Maharishi effect. You know, when they say that when people are sitting in a space where there is crime and violence, and they've tested this out in like really, really rough urban areas in the United States and also on the um, Israeli border and around the Gaza area, they placed these meditators and had them meditate and send love, literally like embody love and compassion and send that out and just sit there in that space. Like, and then there's a measurable decrease in crime. And that's different. What, what you're talking about, and I just want to go back to that analogy to make sure everyone understands. So when we're talking about the guy out there drowning. Okay. What we're talking about specifically is that that's a metaphor for marginalized communities and people of color in the United States. And they're out there and they're in danger. And then if you're a bystander, you're in a privileged position and you're looking at this person who's at risk of losing their life. And if you close your eyes and you just say, oh, well, I send you love and light. And then you walk away, then that person is going to die and that person is going to be harmed. So, you know, the idea is when you're, you know, if you need to go and send a, a boat and, and go and take an action, that that is an expression of your love and light. That otherwise, the, it's just words and it's not actually love. It's just a performance. It's, it's just spiritual bypassing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's someone being uncomfortable, someone not wanting to put any skin in the game, um, and not wanting to lose their privilege. A lot of it's not people not wanting to lose their, lose their privilege. Because if they reach out and try to help, then, you know, what will people around them think? Um, you know, isn't it more than that though? Like, isn't, isn't it some people fear there's a subconscious fear of losing one's position in a hierarchy based on privilege. So it's like, we, it's one thing to give lip service to, okay, well, love and light to the world and we should all be equal. And if you're in the position of power, there's a, there's a subconscious, there's, I feel like there's a subconscious grasping to power so that people who have benefited from systemic, you know, violence done to marginalized groups, when they're asked to be truly inclusive, what, what, there's a scarcity mindset that essentially says, oh, but then you're, I'm going to give you the piece of the pie that I have. And it's not even conscious because it's, it's a subconscious bias. It, it really is. It, it really is. And, and also I honestly think that a lot of white people just don't they honestly don't have a clue what it means to be Black in America and what Black people go through. And I think some people honestly really in their mind and their fairy tale world believe that because they censor themselves, basically. So they believe that everybody is having the same experience that they are having. And, you know, and so if a marginalized person doesn't have an opportunity, it's because they didn't work hard enough. They didn't try hard enough. They, you know, they're out there drowning because, oh, they must have put themselves out there. They didn't work hard enough to swim. They didn't, you know, um, you know, because we all have the same, we all have the same access to everything. And so I think a lot of it is, is just like ignorance, you know, like the glaciers, like the, the root glacier is 
is ignorance. And all the other clashes just spring out of that. You know, you get rid of ignorance, then, you know, boom, everything falls away. But if you're a person out there and you have this ignorance about what the world really is and the experiences that marginalized and oppressed people are having, and you just stay in that ignorance and don't do the work, some people honestly and truly just feel that because everyone's on the same plane, feel there's nothing for them to do, you know, and it, which is, which is BS. <laughs> um, Illusion of, it, it's this, it's also a very, um, very, you know, North American, United States of American illusion of this grand meritocracy that we, that, that very much the United States, we think that our country is based on. We think that, you know, we're all given the same chances and we're all, we all have the rights and life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And that, you know, you make what you can. It's very, very, you know, central to Americanness, the idea of, you know, the self-made person that you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you make what you you know, you make what you can of yourself. But what, what's the hidden subtext of that is that not everyone starts on the same playing field. It's not an, it's not a level playing field. There, there are, um, you know, really powerful resources for anybody who's listening that can really describe what privilege is. I think, um, from my perspective, uh, you know, many people associate me as a white person, but I'm Jeff, I'm, you know, I've, I've been raised as being Japanese and being from South Florida, I definitely stuck, stuck out as a, as an Asian person and, you know, got made fun of here and there for it. But my, my life, I never felt like my life was in danger because of my Asianness. but my mother and my father, my mother and my grandfather both experienced that. My grandfather was in an internment camp. My mom got beat up <laughs> countless times for being Asian. And, you know, when, like for me to sit with this question of, privilege being being what what what's taken me my whole life to realize is white passing and while at the same time internally having an identity as you know as a minority it, it took me a long time to grapple with and it was hard to understand what privilege is and the first time i understood what what privilege is and i realized oh i benefit from white privilege even though i don't identify as white even though i don't feel like i'm step, i'm on top of the pack even though i don't feel like i've been handed everything i'm not from a multi million dollar family i'm from a working class family my mom is japanese like i but i benefit from the color of my skin a i've never felt for my for, feared for my physical safety i don't think that the police are going to assault me. I think when I see the police, I think that they're going to protect me. And every, every interaction I've had with the police has been relatively nice and friendly, barring a speeding ticket, you know? And I mean, that was my fault. I was speeding, you know what I mean? And, but, 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 the, but even that, I didn't think now I have to brace myself because this officer may kill me. I never had that thought. And so even just to think about that is to put into perspective, whether or not you identify as someone who is like, oh, I've, I'm this, you know, my, my parents, I grew up in a trailer park. It doesn't matter. There's just a simple fact that the color of your skin makes a difference. Then there's this other video. I think that's it's a, quite a common one that, that anybody who's, who's listening to this should Google and watch on YouTube. And I'll try to find the link and put it in the, the description of the podcast where there, I, I actually think it's a pastor from a church who lines up a bunch of kids. Have you seen this one? I've seen Where that. he said, everybody whose parents are still together, take a step forward. Everybody who has never thought about that there's no food in their, at their home, take a step forward. Everybody whose parents bought them new textbooks, take a step forward. Everybody who's never had used clothes, take a step forward. And then you see all of these, all of these white kids take a step forward, step forward, step forward. And then, you know, the, it's the playing field. And then at the end of the, you know, the, the end of the field, he says, okay, the first one to make it gets the hundred dollars. And, you know, the African-American kids, they run faster and harder than everyone else. And they don't get there in time because of the have steps and steps and steps forward. And I think anybody who doesn't understand what white privilege is needs to watch that because it's, it's also, it's children. So you, it, you know, like adults, you, we, we, you know, we, we can tell a human being, blah, blah, but just, these are children. So this has got to tug at your heartstrings. So anybody who says that you know, like spirituality and yoga doesn't have anything to do with each other. Social justice, watch that. Because if you can't feel the harms being done to these children, what is ahimsa then? You know, what is, what is love then? And so, in America, um, white people have like a 400-year um, <laughs> advantage um, over black yeah. people. And let's unpack that. Would you explain that like in crystal <laughs> clear detail for people? What does that mean? 
I mean, well, I mean, we were, I mean, all right. So, I mean, it, that could be a long discussion, but even so, so there were black people over here pre-slavery. Um, some people don't realize that, um, you know, people were coming to America pre-slavery and, and living their life. Um, but at some point, um, there started to be laws passed that enabled white people to be able to have control over black people. And then you started having the, um, the slave trade that came over. So for, I mean, at least 200 or so years, you know, blacks in America were slaves. So there you go, big, big advantage. And then even when we were freed, all the laws that were on the books were not for us. When, you know, the Constitution was made, nobody was thinking about Black people. When you had all those rights, it, it was, they were absolutely for, for white people. Um, white male landowners. White male landowners. It wasn't about us at all. And so even though, you know, we had the civil rights movement and some people think, oh, that was that, you know, Civil Rights Act was passed, boom, it's all over. It's not because you have a whole structure and a system that was based on racist laws that favored white male landowners. The whole system of the United States is based on that. And so then you've got, you know, the children of slaves or not children of slaves, but the descendants of slaves still here, still having to deal with um, the systemic oppression and racism that is like part of the bedrock of this country that we live in. And the thing about living in 2020 or, or living in these days is that it's, not, well, it's gotten to be very uh, out there now, you know, with George Floyd and everything that's going on. But for a while it was, you know, there wasn't a, somebody burning a cross in your yard um, wearing a KKK hood. Um, so then people were able to be like, oh, see, 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 it's not really happening. But it's still a part of how the systems and the structures of America is set up. I mean, you don't have to believe me, but if you do any type of research, um, it's definitely harder for Black people to get loans, for starting their businesses, our upper mobility. I mean, there's just, there's so much. And if you do research, you'll find that I'm not going to go into it. But anyone can do research and see that there's still places like you used with that example of the privilege where we're running and we're running and we're running and we're running and we're still so far behind um, that we're just not seeing the same benefits here in America. And it's a part of the bedrock uh, of this society and the little things that we do in the world uh, keep this going, like sending out love and light. And instead of helping um, people and standing up and, and noticing even within our yoga community where basically privilege, white privilege, which is kind of like a doorway to um, racism and, and to um, the death of black bodies is happening. And seeing that stuff and starting there, it makes a difference. Representation matters, not seeing ourselves um, in the in 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 the in the world makes a difference. It, it sends these messages that gets deep deep down to the soul of not just black people, but deep down into the souls of white people in a way that mm-hmm. they don't even know it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, and until you know they're walking down the street and the black kid walks by and they clutch their purse, like they don't mm-hmm. even know it's there. You know, mm-hmm. and but it's there. It's there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this whole society is just built on this this bedrock of like four hundred years of systemic oppression um, mm-hmm. and racism, and it has to be dismantled by um, honestly white people. <laughs> but um, it has it has to be dismantled, and it has to be an active thing. What can yoga practitioners do? So say someone's listening, and they're like okay, so I'm a white person and I'm, you know, uh, from descendant from, you know, the Mayflower, you can trace my ancestors back there. And they feel like, but I'm not a racist. Like I, I, you know, I I like all people and, but they feel like uh, this shouldn't happen. What, what can that person actually do? Like, what are some actionable steps that if they say, no, I truly love all beings, what can that human being do? What I've noticed with white people, I think one of the first things that can be helpful is to start to look at how um, how a person may center themselves. And when we look at the yoga world, there's 
and you go into the average yoga studio, um, it's mostly white females. Um, the ads are going to be white females. Um, when you, if you go to, uh, Google and you look up yoga, you're going to find white females. It's like, stop and take a look at the centering of white culture. And even when, when you, when you look at yoga, there's a lot of whitewashing that's happening in yoga to make it more palatable. Ever since I started working in yoga studios, it was like, okay, we have to make this, um, we have to make this accessible, you know, and I, I, and to who though? Well, you know, if we meditate and stuff, people might feel weird. What people? What people are you talking about that might feel weird? Well, if we put this Ganesha over here, people might, you know, might make people uncomfortable. What, what people are you talking about? Like, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like asking yourself that question. Like when you're starting your yoga studio and you're coming up with this, whatever, this flow you're doing, you know, you're decorating that place. Like who are, when you're trying to make somebody comfortable, who are you trying to make comfortable? Right? Mm-hmm. So it's first just really stopping and looking at how, the yoga industry and the world of yoga has started to center white people, which is the craziest thing in the freaking world. Um, <laughs> since, you know, some people can argue it came from Africa and, you know, most people say it came from India. So whichever one you believe Africa, India it definitely isn't white. <laughs> and so it's like just that act that I can take this from this culture and completely center it around um, my culture, which in this example would be white people, and center it around white people, and without blinking an eye or thinking about it at all. Mm-hmm. But if I were to do the opposite, you know, I've, I've actually had this happen. I, you know, I was talking about a POC um, yoga class with a couple of um, white ladies once, and they were like, appalled yeah that's that's actually quite a common reaction you know and that's you know so so can you talk about why why were they appalled and why is it necessary to create say a safe space for a poc class appalled because the whole world sent without realizing the whole world centers them the whole world centers um uh well in america they're centering the white experience. They're centering it. And to be so, oh my God, to be so asleep that you don't even realize that you're being centered and don't realize that people don't feel comfortable when they walk into certain spaces because they don't see themselves there at all. They, they, it, it doesn't reflect them at all. And, but to feel that, oh, this is a great, comfortable space. Why would you want to be anywhere else? To me, it's like, wow. Um, wow. And so, yeah, people of color need their own space because you spend your whole, sometimes need your whole space, need your own space because you spend your whole day just being triggered, having to have conversations with people who have no idea what you go through in your life. And yoga is supposed to be a place where you can go and like unpack your stuff, where you're supposed to be able to feel safe, where you're supposed to feel like you can be yourself, but then you walk into a yoga studio and you don't feel that you're getting that. Um, Little things like um, music, Honestly, um, I've worked at yoga spaces where I had to make playlists and the playlists contain no music that I actually liked, um, none at all, because, you know, it might be seen as too ghetto. It might be seen as too, too risque, too out there. People may, uh, it might make people uncomfortable if I play this type of music the whole way, right? So centering one group of people. So people of color is like, I want to, I want to be able to go to a place where I can feel comfortable and be myself and I can feel safe to unpack this without worrying about, you know, Becky trying to touch my hair or, you know, um, knowing that the teacher is going to understand my body and what I've been through this day. And, and they're going to, they're going to speak to that. Um, so that's why people of color want their own classes. And, you know, you go to a place as a black person, everywhere you go, white people are being centered everywhere. Like to me, it's not much to ask to be like, you know, can I have, can I just have a moment, a class that's, that's mine? And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's asking, you know, for too much. So is that, 
one actionable thing that every person who has a yoga studio could do is empower um, you know, a person of color to lead a POC class? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. If someone approaches a yoga studio and they want to do that, I mm-hmm. do think it's a great conversation um, to have. Um, and if you're a yoga studio that will do that, you know, kudos to you because that really honestly is not um, the norm that someone will will do it. Um, but I think if someone approaches uh, approaches a studio owner about it, they should mm-hmm. definitely, you know, consider having um, that class there. Um, we have the to be careful, awesome. huh? We have to what be careful me? with. Um, when we start to change and shift the world of yoga, we have to make sure it's not in a way that tokenizes. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say you have to be careful with that because it's like, if you're not changing anything else about, about your studio and making any types of shifts and just having this one token class for people of color on the schedule, um, that can be problematic as well. It can be singling out. It can, it can feel, it can also feel non- like, okay, that's here. Y'all have that over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you have, you have, to, you know, have to be careful with it. Um, but yeah, definitely if someone comes in and like, yeah, I want to do a people of color class, I think it'd be a great thing to consider. But yeah, I think it's, it's a bigger issue than like, I'm going to have one black person at the front desk and I'm make sure I got one black person in a picture and I'm going to make mm-hmm. sure I got, you know, two black yoga teachers out of, 40. Like, it's like, it, it, it has to go further than that. And these are deep, conver- these are deep, like conversations that people have to have with themselves. It's like, you have to look out at your yoga community that you've created and ask, like, why does it look this way? Why, why, why does it look that way? And these are not easy answers. There's not an easy answer either. And there's not like some easy list. Okay. Uh, look at my class. My studio is 99% white and I can do A, B, C, D, E. Like it's not, it's not mm-hmm. going to be that easy. A lot of it is like really looking deep inside. Like, why does it look this way? Why do people feel uncomfortable coming here? Cause obviously they do. Cause I know at all the studios I work with black people do definitely come in, but you know, maybe don't come back. Um, so it's like, you know, having mm-hmm. the really looking at the community that's being created Um, and, and, you know, and it's not an easy discussion. These are not easy questions. It's not an easy thing to look at, you know, it's not an easy path, but it sounds like that education, self-reflection and listening seem to be three tools that people in positions of power and people of privilege could really take on. And this includes if you're a studio owner, you're in a position of power. If you're a teacher, also in a position of power. And for any yoga students out there who are listening, who are like, you know, I'm just a student and I'm, you know, I'm not a teacher. I don't have to hold a position of power. I'm just, you know, I just work at Office Depot. Then those three things can still be appropriate. You can still educate yourself. You can still listen. You can still reflect on yourself, reflect on your unconscious biases. You know, how do you react? Different people come in, you know, and how do you react to each person who comes in? If you're working at Office Depot, if you're a barista, if you're, you know, whatever interaction you have, just to watch that moment to moment. You know, and they can, uh, as a student, you can call attention to it. How come there's, you know, only white people on your website? How come, mm-hmm. you know, this place isn't very diverse? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you can still like make those observations, you know, to, <laughs> to studio owner, to studio owners, um, and be an ally in that way. Like, yeah. yeah. Or suggest people like, hey, you know, I know this, you know, yoga teacher named blah, blah, blah. She's African-American. You know, I think she'd be great. You know, whatever. You can be an ally that way. I love that. I really, I, I, I find that one of the things that gets uh, overwhelming for people is to feel like, I don't know what I can do. Like, this is terrible and I don't know what I can do. But I, I like this, this idea of empowering people that when, when you see that, you know, some diversity is missing, if you can speak to the studio owner and say, Hey, you know, as you mentioned, like why why is this all a homogenous space? And then number two, using whatever whatever experience you have to empower someone who is a person of color to say, you know, I know this great teacher. That's I, I love that. People have in the last uh, twenty four hours, I've gotten more references for um, t- teachers of color uh, via social media than I have in a really really long time. And you know. 
Um, one of the things that I'm, you know, at OMSTARS, what we're interested in is, is making sure that there is representation of, of particularly people of color, particularly people of Indian descent. I mean, that's really important for us within yoga to make sure that there are particularly Indian descent teachers and, and give them a space and a priority in the, you know, in our, in the, in the way that yoga is presented so that people still recognize and honor yoga's roots. But I've been really floored with people referring you know, another teacher here, another teacher there. And, you know, within whatever circle that I am in the like Instagram world, and I've connected with a few teachers, but these are people that don't have a lot of followers, but are maybe excellent teachers. And I've so appreciated that. So if anybody's listening and you have an awesome teacher who's maybe at your local studio or just that you've personally worked with, then, you know, please send me a message and share them with your, share that information with your local studio as well. And this needs to happen all the time, like not just now, like it shouldn't take a tragedy for people to start to uplift black and brown voices. This should be happening all the time. So, I mean, a really easy thing to do, or maybe it's not easy, but follow black and brown teachers. And then you go and you follow the black and brown teachers that they follow. And Mm -hmm. then you uplift these people's voices and you have to do it. You have to be doing it all the time, all the time, because we just, we just, we just fall through the cracks. We do. Mm -hmm. Um, We fall through the cracks. So that's something that students can do. Like, like if you follow me and then like get, get underneath my friends (laughs) and like get my stories. Oh, she shared this person. Okay. I'm gonna follow that person. Oh, she took a, training with this person. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow that person. Like it's such an, that's such an easy way to start to, um, to find other voices. And it's like, it, 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 it really just grows. And it's something that we actively have to do because when you go to places like Instagram and social media and in yoga s- studios, it is going to be the white voices that are getting pushed up. So you have to actively find those voices follow them, go to their classes, do privates with these teachers, support them in what they do, support their workshops, send out their blogs, share them all over the place. Like we have to actively do this and call out people who don't. Like call out people if they're having the yoga and diversity conference with 10 white people on the panel. I mean, it's like, you know. <laughs> and, that, and, and you're not making that up. Like, this is something that actually happened. I remember that, actually. And this was just astounding. It, you know, and, and stuff like that is still happening. Um, it, it's, it's, it's still happening. And it just blows my mind. It's like you, and, and the thing is always, oh, we, don't, we didn't know anybody. Really? Really? Ask around. Yoga came from brown people and you can't find any brown people. You can't Mm -hmm. find any. Like it really, that's your excuse that you just, that doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't cut it anymore. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cut it anymore. So yeah, yeah, follow people, uplift voices, be allies. Mm -hmm. One, one, if it is, if another way that I, I, that we do at Miami Life Center and also at OMSTARS and is that we have a scholarship fund. And so this is important because of that privilege issue is that there are going to be people that will need economic help in order to gain access to the yoga classes. And they'll need economic help to gain access to even online classes. And these are often from marginalized communities. So we make a, we, we have a scholarship and a scholarship form and we prioritize, you know, the, 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 the marginalized voices that we want to lift up whether those are teachers seeking to educate themselves or students that are interested. And so this is something that every studio owner can really, you can make an extra space in your studio. You can make a scholarship form. You can let an additional two people into your class. It's going to, you know, it's going to be okay. And, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll open up your eyes and open up your heartstrings a little bit. One last thing I, I, one last thing I'd really like to talk about is that I feel like people seem to think it's an either or thing. So people seem to think, I'm either going to send love and light or I'm going to be an angry activist. And that's somehow, it like gets lost. It's like, wait a minute. No, that's not what's going on. It's not like, no, we're not saying like the people that are asking for action. So like, you're not saying, no, don't hold love and light anymore. You're not saying that. What you're saying is don't only do that. No, you're not asking people to, you know, pound on the walls and rage 
and, 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 and hate other people. You're not asking for hate to be thrown around, but anger is justifiable. So it's like, yeah, be angry. Please be angry the same way that you'd be angry if like a puppy got run over, like the value of human life and be angry that that happened. And then if you, if you love that life, then act on it. So it's not a separate. So could you talk about how it's possible to be, have justifiable anger, have a heart of love, take action and put it all together to kind of embody like the whole eight limbs. So I think a big problem with a lot of people, they just want to be liked and it's just not kind to have those thoughts. Um, and the reality is in, in this world, in order to make a difference, I mean, the people who've made the, who make differences in this world are, are, had to put themselves in a place where they may not be liked. When you are going against the status quo, you may not be liked. And there's all this stuff going out now. Well, well, Black community has been known this, but like Martin Luther King, everybody's like, oh, he was this, you know, totally peaceful guy. But like Martin Luther King was like, you know, punk rock. He was like, you know, he wasn't, you know, people hated Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. when he was alive. They absolutely hated him. But he made such a huge difference that we wouldn't be where we are. And so, like, people are, like, sending all these quotes, oh, peace, 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 while ignoring the fact that Martin Luther King was, like, gangster for his time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is what it required. So, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, your, your love and your light has to be something if it's applicable to everyone, you are going to, um, you are going to take action. Mm-hmm. You are going to take action. Mm-hmm. Love is action. Like when mm-hmm. some of the purest forms of love, if you think about, you know, like the love that a parent has for their child, exactly. there's action. You know, the mama don't, you know, squeeze the baby out, put it in the, put it in the bassinet <laughs> and just like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. No, they get up, they feed the baby, they make sure the baby is warm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they parent that child, they do everything that needs to be done, they take action. Sometimes they get angry because the child is out there doing craziness. Sometimes they get sad, sometimes they get afraid, sometimes they get angry, they go to bat for that child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If someone is messing with that child, they are going to go to bat for that child. They're not going to let nobody mess with their child and bully their child. That Mm -hmm. is love that's love that's that love. is love yep. and you know that's the same type of love that we need right now in this world to um help with to help like god change this world and get rid of this harm that racism is, is calling for it's that type of love it's that fierce love that parents have for their children. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to let these people out here. I'll take away your pure heart. Um, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you're cared for. I'm going to make sure mm-hmm. that you're nurtured. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the type of love that we need. And that love is extraordinarily active. So that's what we're looking for, an active love. And that love is, is beautiful. Yes, yeah, I completely agree. It's it's beautiful. We need an active love. So uh, that that to me is real love. You know, it's mm-hmm. indifference sitting around and and honestly, yeah, it's indifference to sit around and be like, well, I'm just going to send this out to you, and I'm seeing you right there getting beat down in the street, and I'm not going to do anything about it. I mean, how is that mm-hmm. love? It's not mm-hmm. love. We know what. That's love a really is. good point. Yep, and I think everybody. Everybody who's listening can identify with a parent's love for a child. And I love that. I was, I was thinking of that exact thing today, that, there's, that love has consequences. If you, say you're gonna, if you say you love someone, there's a consequence to that. And if your actions will tell the story of whether or not you actually love that person or not. So, so it's a, it is a wake-up call, you know? And everybody can do more. And it's not, you know, it's not so shame or guilt or beat somebody down. It's not that. It's just, hey, wake like look, open your eyes and look and listen and learn. And if you say that, you know, you believe that all beings are worthy of love, then let's start acting like it. Let's do what each of us can do to make a world that that actually runs on that. Right now, our world runs on violence and oppression. Yeah. If you believe like, you know, I, I did a post on Instagram a couple of days ago 
you know, at the end of even the Ashtanga practice, we've got the mantra, you know, may yeah. all beings be happy and free. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's right there. All beings may all yep. beings be happy and free. So you're sitting here and you're seeing that there are some beings that are not happy, mm-hmm. some beings that are not free. And you're like, oh, well, here's my love. Yeah. Like, it's no, like, that it's doesn't work. So hypocritical. It's mm-hmm. so hypocritical, you know, mm-hmm. and we understand. And that's why in the article I talked about Kapatasana, we understand the effort it takes towards our practice. Mm-hmm. But the minute something like this happens, you know, act of racism, then we're like, oh, love and light, no effort, no work, no research, no action. Mm-hmm. When everywhere else in our life when we need see something that 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 needs us we're 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 doing complete and utter action mm-hmm. we go get on our mat we do this yoga practice it's very intensive very actionable mm-hmm. um very energetic very fiery and at the end we're like yeah may there be you know peace to everybody on the earth and then we yeah. walk away and don't do a damn thing Mm-hmm. It's not good you enough. Know, we know what action looks like. That is just fear talking. It's uh, for a lot of people's deep seated racism. They're not aware of that they mm-hmm. have that they haven't worked on. That's privilege. That's like being afraid of the repercussions that are going to happen that might happen to you in this world for speaking up and for standing up, and which is crap because you know there's people out here dying, and you know you can't open your mouth. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's it's absolutely insane. It's like no people know what action looks like. They mm-hmm. know what love looks like. They absolutely do. It's crap. We're at the time. We're at a day and time where that's all crap. It's not acceptable mm-hmm. anymore. You know what action looks like. <laughs> you know what love looks like. Go mm-hmm. out there and do it. Give that love to everyone, not just the people you like, not to the people that you feel comfortable or is societally acceptable to, to be, for you to be given love to. Give love to, to everyone, that active love. Give that effort to people, the same effort you put on your mat every darn day, day in, day out. Effort, sweat, toil, tears, work. But then you mm-hmm. see somebody, your fellow man, out here just dying, just getting murdered. And you're like, uh, all of a sudden you don't know what action looks like. (laughs) Yeah. It's not good enough. And I I think we can, we can leave, you know, we can, we can give some people some very, very clear actionable steps. Like number one, everybody who's on this podcast, please go follow Shana and take her advice and check out her content, go follow who she follows and check out some black yoga teachers, some people of color, some black and brown and other people of color who are teachers and in the yoga space. Do that. That's a small thing. Cost you nothing. Literally cost you nothing. Just do that. Number one. Number two, there are numerous resources. If you haven't read a book on anti-racism, unpacking white supremacy, white fragility, numerous books that are out there, at least read one. If not one, at least read an article that's out there. Um, and then, you know, the third thing is once you, in that I would rec- I would really recommend to every person who's, who's not a person of color is to really spend some time listening and just listen, just really take the time and then, and like, listen, 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 listen. So when you're, when you follow Shana, follow her for a while before you comment, when you follow these people of color for a while, just follow them, like get in their vibe for a little bit before you start commenting and saying, Oh, I didn't like that. And like, keep your opinions yourself for a little bit because you're, you need, you need time to get acclimated. So those are, those are two very small things that I think everybody can do. Buy a new book, not book, read articles. <laughs> Follow people, like people of color on Instagram. And, and, then, and then lastly, listen, spend time listening. And then from there, you'll be, you'll, you'll be naturally guided to what, what else actionable is right. Whether that's signing a petition, whether that's um, you know, joining a protest, whether that's posting other more activist things on your social media, whether that's having difficult conversations with family members when you catch, catch their unconscious biases that come up or your bosses or, you know, bringing agency, to, you know, into marginalized voices in your yoga studio, whatever that is, you'll be led there. And then the last thing I'd really like to leave everyone who is in the United States and really in any uh, democratic country is please register to vote. If you're not registered to vote, please register to vote because we can talk about things on podcasts. We can talk about things on social media all we want. We can march down the streets and protest, 
but until we change the people who hold positions of power, the, the cogs don't change in this grand wheel of suffering. So please register to vote and vote people into office who are aligned with the change that, 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 that yoga stands for. Yes. So thanks again, Shana, for joining. Thanks everyone for listening. And we hope we leave you with a little inspiration to take your yoga off the mat into your everyday life. Thank you for having me. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.